Open your Bibles to the book of Psalms 22. Psalms chapter 22, and we're going to continue where we left off last week. Last week we looked at part of Psalms 22, and we called the sermon a preview of Calvary. A preview of Calvary. This will be a preview of Calvary Part 2. This psalm could also be called the fifth gospel simply because it has the prophecies that were fulfilled in the four gospels of Christ. Or it has also been called the Old Testament Calvary. But I like the title that I've given it a preview of Calvary. In way of review, from last week's message, let's notice who crucified Christ. Now we know the Jews had their part. They were the one that wanted him crucified, but they didn't have the authority to do it. So they asked the Romans. They got the Romans to put him on the cross to crucify him. So we said, who put him on the cross? First of all, it was by the hands, the holy hands of God the Father. By the holy hands of God the Father, verse 1, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, the answer is, the answer is, Because our sins were upon Christ, laid upon Him, charged to Him. And the Bible says in Habakkuk 1.13, that thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil and cannot look upon sin. And so the reason God turned His back and forsook the Lord Jesus is because of our sins upon Christ. And he who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God through him. And therefore, the word abandonment, these words describe what God did when he forsook his only begotten son. He said in the latter part, Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring or groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime. That's because he was put on the cross at nine in the morning and in the daytime he suffered on that cross from nine in the morning till twelve at noon. But then at twelve o'clock noon in the zenith of the day of the sun, it became pitch black. God put out the sun He veiled the son so that no man could see what was going to transpire between him and his son when he was going to pour out his wrath, his judgment upon Christ as our substitute. So in verse 2 he says, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest me not. And the night session. Oh, my friend, that was the worst part of the crucifixion. It wasn't the nails in his hands and feet. 
It, it wasn't the thorns that pierced his brow or the whipping, the lacerating of his back until his flesh was like ribbons of flesh torn off. Everybody that was crucified suffered that, physical. But the real suffering was when God forsook his only begotten son, poured out our hell punishment that we deserve on Jesus Christ. And Jesus, in those hours on the cross, suffered the equivalent of what you and I would suffer had we died and went to hell. And nobody can even imagine that. But that's what happened to Christ on the the cross. And of course, this was the fulfillment of Matthew 27, 46. Now, we're going to be turning some scripture in your Bible, but let's notice the fulfillment of Psalms 22 and verse 1. First of all, look with me at Matthew 27. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27 and verse 46. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabbathani, that is to say, here's the fulfillment of it, 1,800 years later, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If there's, if there's just one reason that we ought to believe that the word of God is inspired of God, it's these verses we're reading that what was prophesied by the prophets of old long before the birth of Christ, they came to pass exactly what the prophets had prophesied 1,800 years before the birth of Christ. And so the first thing we said, that he suffered from the holy hands of God the Father. But secondly, in review, we said that it was by the hateful hands of men. The hateful hands of men. Look at verse 6. But I am a worm and not and no man, a reproach of men and despise of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. That's because he hung naked on the cross and they laughed at him and jeered at him. They shoot out the lip. They, they shoot out the lip. They shake their head at me. In other words, shoot out the lip means they show contempt with their mouth. Now, look at verse 19. Verse 19. But be not thus far from me, O Lord, O my strength, haste to help me. Verse 13. They gap upon, upon me with their mouth. You see that? As a raving and roaring lion. Now let's see when that was fulfilled. Would you look again in Matthew 27? Matthew 27 and verse 39 tells how the people, as, they, as he drug his cross on his back through the uh, path going to Calvary, that uh, one of the Gospels mentions that I mean, he's already been whipped and lacerated and 
beaten with a Roman cat of nine tails, loss of blood, and humanly weak, he stumbles and falls with that 200-pound cross upon his back, and they encourage or have a man named Simon of Serene to help him bear the cross up uh, the hill to Calvary. But notice here how the crowds along that street laughed and mocked and jeered and made crude remarks. Beginning in Matthew 27, and, and look at me, verse 39, and they that passed by reviled him. The word revile means blasphemed him. Wagging their heads and saying, Thou that buildest the temple, excuse me, destroyest the temple, and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. My friend, nobody can say if you be the Christ and be saved. You've got to make a total commitment to Christ. You've got to be persuaded in your heart by the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ is the God Almighty and that He is the Savior of souls. You can't say, well, if you be. But we must say, He is. He is the Son of God. Likewise, verse 41, also the chief priests mocking Him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, Himself He cannot save. If He be, here's that word if again, If he be king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. And so you see here, the crowds were mocking and laughing and taunting him as he weighed his way up uh, that hill to Calvary, Uh, with the cross, that heavy cross upon his lacerated back. Now, turn over to the book of Luke. The gospel of Luke, we read in more details about this same event. Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23, and uh, let's begin in verse... 36, Luke's Gospel, chapter 23 and verse 36. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, offering him vinegar, which was a sired wine, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed at him. That means blasphemed him, saying, If, here's another if, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. And as I said last week, he could not do both. He could not save himself from the death on the cross and then save us from our sins. And from all eternity, ladies and gentlemen, from the beginning of the world, before the world began, in the council halls of eternity, God the Father planned and purposed that Christ would die on our cross as our sin bearer, as our substitute, that we might be saved. 
So this cross was not accidental. It was not coincidental. It was not by fate, but by the divine providence of a sovereign, a sovereign God. So, um, so we see. But look at verse. Uh, <clears throat> go back now to my text. In uh, keep your place there, because we may come back. Look with me now at Psalms twenty-two. Back in Psalms twenty-two, and look at verse fourteen. And here's the part that we did not get to last week. He said, I am poured out like water, and all, watch this, and all my bones are out of joint. What does that mean? When they crucified Christ, as they did all malefactors and criminals, they had a hole dug in the ground, a post hole, like you're going to put a, uh, build, uh, put up a fence and you got to have a post and you dig a post hole. And when they had ropes that they had around the cross and Christ upon that cross and they lifted it up, hoisted it up and when they got to the bottom of the cross over top of that hole in the ground, they let it fall down into the heart of the earth. And when that cross came to that thud, it poured, pulled every joint Every bone out of place. The most torturous position. Fever ran through his body. Convulsing, bleeding, dying on that cross. And therefore his bones, the Bible prophesied in verse 14, are out of joint. Notice in verse 15. My strength is dried up like a pot share, and my tongue cleaveth. You see that you see that word cleaveth? That means clings to my jaw. And thou hast brought me unto the dust of death. Let me show you where this was fulfilled. Hold your place here with me and go back to the Gospel of John. John's Gospel, chapter 19. Once again, John chapter 19. And I'm showing you the fulfillment of Psalm 22, 15. Psalm 22, 15. Here it is. John chapter 19 and verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture, what Scripture? Psalms 22, 15 said, that the scriptures might be full, said, I thirst. I thirst. He thirsts that we might drink of the fountain of living water. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful to think? He told the woman at the well, he said, I can give you water that you'll never thirst again. In other words, his salvation is like water that will ne- you'll never want to thirst again. It- it'll completely quench your thirst spiritually. My salvation is satisfactory. You don't need to be saved over and over and over again like many believe. Just as when you drink of His water, you don't have to have a drink and a drink and a drink and a drink. One drink of His salvation is once for all satisfying your spiritual longing 
and your spiritual thirst. Look at verse 16. For dogs have compassed me. In the Bible, Gentiles were referred to as dogs. Not household pets, but scavengers. Filthy, flea-bitten, disease-carrying dogs. For dogs have compassed or surrounded me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Now, we didn't get to that last week, although we mentioned how they would lay a person on the cross. They laid Jesus on the cross, and they took these, the Bible calls them nails, but they're really spikes, uh, eight-inch spikes, dull, rusty, four-quarter-inch spikes, and drove it through his palms of his hands and fastened to the top part of the cross. They crossed his feet one across the other and took that spike and drove it through his feet, nailing him to that cross. Where is that fulfilled? Once again, John chapter 19. John's Gospel chapter 19. Excuse me, John chapter 20. John chapter 20, and beginning at verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. This is after the resurrection and his glorified new body. He appeared to his disciples. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except. I see what this. What's he want to see? His hands. The print of the nails or the scars. And thrust my hand into his side. The scar in his side from the Roman spear. I will not believe. And after eight days, I've got a sermon coming up pretty soon. It's going to be called... The man who missed the meeting. The Bible don't say he wasn't why he wasn't there that Lord's day to meet with the Lord. But he wasn't there and he missed a blessing. It says, and after eight days again his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut. In other words, with a glorified body he was not limited by material, he can go right through that door, appear right in their midst, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. In other words, here's the nail prints, the scars. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. What made a believer out of Thomas? The nail prints in his hands, and in his feet, and in his side. Verse 29, Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, Thou hast believed. 
Blessed are they. That's you and me, folks. Blessed are they that have not seen. We have not seen Christ in person like the disciples and Thomas. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You and I have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, not because we've seen Him physically, but we've seen Him spiritually through the eyes of faith and through the Word of God. He reveals Himself to us through His written Word. And by faith we see Him at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. We see Him hanging on the accursed tree, suffering like no man ever suffered. Bleeding like no man bleed. Dying like no man has ever died. And he did it just for you and for me. One more scripture. Verse 18 of Psalms 22. Verse 18. They parted my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. The vesture meant an outward robe or coat. Now, where was that fulfilled? Matthew chapter 27. Let's go back to the book of Matthew and chapter number 27 and look at verse 35. Matthew chapter 27 verse number 35. And they crucified him and parted his garments Uh, See that in verse 35 there? They divided his garments. Casting lots, that's like drawing straws to see who gets the the garment. That it might be fulfilled. See, this is all in Everything that happened to Christ at the cross, even gambling, drawing straws or whatever they did, rolling dice or whatever, for his garment was prophesied by the prophet 1,800 years ago. Casting lots that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them and upon my vesture, that means clothing, did they cast lots. Did they cast lots. We were those hateful hands that crucified Christ. And all of His suffering and all of His death was for His people called His seed. Psalms 22 verse 35. Psalms 22 verse Excuse me, 25. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before thee, them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before Him, before Thee. 
For the kingdom is the Lord's, and He is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat, that means prosper, upon earth, shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before Him, and none shall keep alive His own soul. Now watch this verse very carefully. A seed, a seed. What's that mean? A people or descendants. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. There's another place in the Bible that we are referred to as his seed because we came from him physically and spiritually. When you were saved, you were born again into the family of God and therefore you are his generation, descendant, child. But you were one of his before the world began (laughs) when he chose you in Christ. Would you look with me as we close in Isaiah chapter 53. Chapter 53 and verse 10. Isaiah the prophet prophesied this at least 800 years before the birth of Christ. Isaiah 53 10 said, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. That was the real suffering, as I said, of the cross. He suffered in his soul the equivalent of our hell. He shall see his seed. <laughs> Hear that? He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail. The word travail is the word that when a woman is having a baby, and it means uh, suffer, pain, or distress. He He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Why? How could he be satisfied with the hell he went through, the suffering of our punishment? How could he be satisfied with what he did on the cross? Because he knew that he was going to get all that he paid for. His seed. All of those that have repented and trust Christ as Savior and all of those in the future that will repent and trust Christ as Savior is called his seed. And that's who he died for. His people. The people that were foreknown, foreloved, And that includes all that would accept him as their Lord and Savior. You say, Brother Morton, did Christ die for me? If you trust him as your Savior, you can know for sure. You can't have the assurance that Christ died for you unless you repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So if you want to be saved, let me tell you how. First of all, you've got to realize, recognize you're a lost sinner and on your way to hell. Then you must be willing to turn and give up that old life and turn your life to Christ. Receive Him as your Lord and Master. And then you believe with all of your soul and heart 
that he did die on that cross. I've been preaching for about 30 minutes or more. That he died on that cross for you. He knew you. He loved you. And believed he was buried in a borrowed tomb and rose again the third day. And the moment you put your faith and trust and believe in him, he will save you. For the Bible said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Could you do that? And then if you do that here this morning or watching me on the internet, you need to confess it publicly. And there's two ways you do that. One, you step out during the church service, walk down this aisle. Now there's nothing special about down front. You don't have to come down here and get saved, but if you get, you get saved back there in your seat wherever. But if you get saved, you're not going to be ashamed of it. And that's why we ask you to come and let us know so we can rejoice with you. But the real profession of faith is follow him in scriptural baptism because baptism, although it has nothing to do with salvation, it is a profession of your faith. You are declaring, when you are scripturally immersed in water, you are declaring you believe Christ died for you and he was buried for you and rose again the third day. You are showing that now you're safe. You're died. You died with Christ. You don't want anything to do with it. You're dead to the world and sin. You don't want anything to do with the world anymore. You've been buried with Christ, but you've been raised spiritually to walk in the newness of life. If any man be in Christ, he's what? A new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. Maybe you need to come to rededicate your life as a child of God. Maybe you need to come and Join the church this morning by moving a letter of membership. Well, maybe you need scriptural baptism. We're going to give you an opportunity to come. I'm going to be here in the front to receive you, counsel with you, pray with you, try to answer.